0: all right a simple question to start off Uh, how many of you have picked up one of these books that uh, this sermon series is based on it's called crazy busy by kevin DeYoung. okay if you haven't it's not too late to go ahead and ask for one you can write it on that communication card that's in your program and we'll get you a book it's a really good book it's short so it's for those who don't like to read it's not that hard to read But it's a good way to deal with something that I think a lot of us can identify with, right? About being too busy. And busyness is just kind of one of those things that's going to be part of our lives. So I don't want us to misunderstand that we don't want you to be busy. We just don't want you to be crazy busy. So life is going to have a lot of things going on. And it's not about being lazy or slacking off or doing nothing. But life will have a lot of activities. And so the key thing here is not to be crazy about it. And this book helps us to try to reflect on our lives and just to see if there's anything we can pare down and also to, to adjust, just to get our, uh, get our lives a little bit more sane. Because it's my understanding that God wants us to have a life that's full of joy and full of peace. And, and that's, that's his goal for us. But one thing that Kevin DeYoung says in his book that warns us, Um, that will endanger our joyfulness and our peace. It's the danger of being too busy, which can ruin our joy. And this morning, we're going to tag Team Teach here. I'm going to start off, and Pastor Andrew's going to follow me. And and we're going to talk about two two things that take away our joy. They're kind of called joy killers. And I'm going to talk about anxious parenting, and then he's later going to talk about screen time. Now, one thing I want to say here when I say anxious parenting, it's not that having kids doesn't cause us to lose our joy. It's the anxiousness about parenting that causes us to lose our joy. And, and, you know, the first thing I want us to note that there is no perfect parent. So if you're out there thinking you're going to be a perfect parent, just get over it. There's no such thing. And if you're not a parent out there, just be relieved that you don't have to be perfect. And for all the parents out there, I want you to take a little simple exercise right now. Just repeat these words, I am not perfect. Go ahead. I am not perfect. Okay, so the next time when your, your child is crying or your, your child is wanting or whining about something, just turn to them and say, I am not perfect. All right? It's so freeing. It's a moment of revelation. I hope that all of you just realize now that you're not perfect. And you just be sure to tell your kids you're not perfect. And that takes away a lot of the anxiety. You know, when I remember when my, my first child was born, and, and this was kind of like a cold water splash in the face kind of moment. When I was at a hospital ready to take my son home, and a nurse turns to me and says... Mr. Em, he's all yours. And there I realized that from that day on, the responsibility of being a parent was going to be on my shoulders. And my first lesson that I knew I was not a perfect parent was when I was trying to change his diaper the first time he sprayed me in the face. And, and that wasn't the last time he did that. And if you have daughters, and I have both, I have a son and a daughter. Girls can do the same thing too. So they're both very good at spraying. But that's my realization that being perfect was not going to be possible. Now, when I get uh, to be a parent, there's one thing that 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 kind of goes hand in hand about being parents is that you get concerned about your child. And sometimes these concerns turn into worries. And, and that's, I'm guilty of that. I think any parent would be guilty of, of this, this uh, emotion of being worri- worrisome over their children, and it takes the life out of you when you begin to worry about when, when your child has a, a, a high fever, when they're when they're struggling at school, or or you're worrying if if their peers are going to accept them or not, and these worries will drain you. But to this Jesus says. To all of us, do not worry, because worry will take away our joy. And, you know, today, our kids can actually be a lot more safer than when I was a kid. You know, there's so many regulations. You have to wear seatbelts now. I remember when we were little, we would pack like 10 of us into a car, and none of us wore seatbelts, but we were fine. Uh, When we were riding our bicycles or doing our skateboards, none of us wore, wore our helmets. Uh, today, it's a requirement that all kids or everybody under 18 are supposed to wear a helmet when they're riding a bicycle. And it, and with all these safety precautions, children seem to be safe, but parents seem to worry a lot more, right? When we were kids, we would roam around big cities like San Francisco or Los Angeles, and our parents didn't care. We weren't carrying around cell phones. They didn't know where we were as long as we showed up back before the sun went down, they were fine. But today, we track our kids with cell phones. And we worry, and we have them report to us almost like every hour or so to make sure that they're accounted for. And so what we have today is called this phenomenon about um, helicopter parents. Right? You've heard that term, where parents are hovering around their children all the time. And it's so ridiculous. I have a family friend who, who goes to that university down in the other side of the peninsula, which I will not name, uh, that on parent night, a lot of parents there would go to talk to the professors, and they would criticize the professors right in front of their faces why they're, they're not giving their children A's. And that's unbelievable at a university level. And I talk to other friends who teach at universities, and they say, yeah, parents now still call them like it was grade school about their kids' grades, but that's where the level of being a helicopter parent has, has gone to um, strange levels nowadays. But having children, I want to remind us all, is not to kind of monopolize our entire lives. Having children is not the central part of our lives. It's only part of our lives. Who's central to our lives should be Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Central to If we are central with God... And God is with us, everything else falls in place, whether it's our family, our children, our work, our church. But God has to be in the center and not our children. When we put our children in the center of our lives, that's where the craziness begins. And that's where the joy begins to be sucked out of us. If we make children, it doesn't have to be children. I mean, whatever, your hobby, your work, if that's center of your life your joy is going to be sucked away god has to be in that center and only with god's help can you decide what you want to commit to so my my place here is not to tell you to play less sports or have your kids play less sports or to have less uh time studying or watching whatever those are decisions that you're going to have to make and with god's help i hope you will make wise and and fruitful kind of decisions I mean, you sure, I can give you some counsel, Again, Pastor Andrew can give you some counsel, but it's up to you to make your own decisions because you will know what kind of culture you come from, what kind of expectations you have, what kind of societal uh, pressures you want to uh, agree to. That's up to you. That's your choice. The area that Pastor Andrew and I will have is to help you, and it's more in the spiritual nature, a spiritual advice that is, I believe, irrefutable. And so, we want first to begin this whole time is that first to understand that there is no perfect parent, so stop freaking out about it, okay? Now, Kevin, Kevin DeYoung shared in his book a study, which was mind-boggling to me. He, he, there was this survey that um, this uh, group of scientists asked these children what they wanted from their parents. And, and the kids responded this way. They didn't want... To spend more time with their parents. Spending time with their parents was not one of the top things they asked for. What they actually asked for is that they wanted to see their parents less stressed and less tired. Because when parents are less stressed and when they are less tired, it makes the whole family a lot more peaceful. And children can see that. They don't want to spend time with parents that are stressed out and tired. That doesn't make it any better. So their desires from this, this study was that they want to see their parents less tired and less stressed. So if that's kind of a, a, a warning to some of you that if you've seen that you're too tired and you're too stressed, maybe that's somewhere you have to address because the overall health of your children is important to you. If that's important to you, then you would try to be less tired and less stressed. Now, if you're going to do anything right, you know, parenting, there's a lot of responsibility, right? There's a lot of things that we're supposed to do or could do or should do. But if there's anything that you should do and get right are these four things. And these are the only things that I can see from, from Scripture, from the Bible. Because if we use the Bible as the authority of God and we look into it as to what God says about parenting, it actually... Um, there is only a very limited amount of instructions from God about parenting. Kevin DeYoung says there are about four things. And the four things starts off with, first, that, that for parents, the main thing you should be doing is to teach your children about God. That if anything you're going to do, teach your children about God. And you hear this, you know, right, that when we dedicate our children, we say we will um, teach our children the ways of the Lord. Tell them about God. So in your lives, uh, in the moments when you sit down at, bed, uh, at bedtime or at the dinner, dinner table, those t- car drives, the things you should be talking about are the God stories, the stories about God in your own life, so that God is re- will be real in your life and exemplify to the children so that they can see that, that you know God. And that's important. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 6... Verse 6 to 7. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Clearly, tell the stories of God to your children. And that's important. And to be the best parents to your children, it's important for you to be the best Jesus follower ever. That means. Your children have to see you read the Bible. They have to see you pray. They have to see you serve. Because if you don't, your credibility goes down. Right? So you have to show your children that God is real in your life before they will understand the stories of God for themselves. The second thing that parents should should do, and this is the Bible is clear on this, is you need to discipline them. And for me, as a parent... This was really hard, you know. Every parent wants to be the nice guy, you know, you want to be kind and loving. But disciplining is really hard because a lot of times when you discipline your child, it takes a little bit out of out of you as a parent. I'll admit that, right? When your child gets grounded for something, who suffers? It's not just the child, but the parent, too, because you got to stick around and make sure the kid doesn't go anywhere. Or if they don't get screen time, television time, whatever, that means everybody in the family doesn't have any screen time. And so, p- disciplining in itself is hard because when you're tired, when you're stressed out, when when you have uh, almost been give, giving up and being discouraged, it's really hard to maintain that that responsibility of disciplining. But the Scripture says, Proverbs 23, verse 13 says, Do not withhold discipline discipline from a child if you punish him with the rod he will not die so that's it those important words there is that disciplining the child is important you can't spare them of that and discipline won't kill them hopefully not at least you can get close but don't it doesn't kill them and and um maybe this is my counsel and my my experience with it uh, disciplining your child, and this is important. When we're talking about child, this is about minors, you know, under 18. Uh, my my uh, understanding and experience, you can't discipline someone who, who's an adult. So if you're a parent, you're thinking you're going to be able to discipline the 18, 19, 20, year old, forget it. Actually, I think studies have shown that you really can't discipline anyone after 12 or 13. Their character, their decision-making process will have already been formulated. Disciplining is important from the beginning when they're very young and instill those kind of disciplines early on. But once they hit the teen years, it's going to be more challenging. The types of discipline will have to uh, be transformed and, and transitioned to other things besides um, what you would consider consistent as, as a young child. So that's my word is that if you're going to discipline, you've got to be consistent and doing it early and not slack off. Um, because disciplining has a very uh, limited shelf life. And and that's the way it should be, is that when you're raising your children, you want them to be able to make those decisions on themselves, to have the foundations established early, and that their character building is done at an early stage and not left to later, later on. And discipline is the responsibility of parents. It can't be left to anyone else and hebrews 12 emphasizes that fact in verses 7 through 11 it tells about god disciplining his people but the examples in there it compares it to where the responsibility of parenting is to fathers and mothers and not to anyone else and that as children and even as children of god but as children we expect our parents to discipline us novel idea but children expect their parents to discipline them a lot of testing that children do is to find out what the boundaries are. And as a parent, you must establish those boundaries early and clearly, not wishy-washy about it, and be consistent. Uh, one of uh, my family uh, friends uh, had this issue with with his, his daughter, and and who was going a little wild in her young adult stage, and it was amazing to me that he would come to me and say, Now, I don't know how this happened, but I observed all the kinds of disciplines that he was doing with her, with his daughter, and and he was not stamping his foot. He would just say, well, you do whatever you want to do. And, And it's no wonder that his daughter is going a little wild right now. What I'm using that story to illustrate is that discipline has to start consistently from the beginning. And if you wonder if certain behaviors develop and you haven't been disciplining your child, you might look into that as a cause for that. The third thing that the scripture tells us for parents to do, one of the, one of the four things, is, a, is to be thankful for them. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. That's the NIV version. When it says sons, it also includes daughters. I like the New Living uh, Translation version. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. It's a reminder from Scripture here that all children are a gift. And I know some tired parents of toddlers are thinking that's not possible. (laughs) But children are a gift from God. And if we have that, that reminder, that attitude, then we can appreciate them, love them, affirm them, and those are the things that are most important, if anything, is to cherish our children, not to think of them as a burden, not to think of them as as a, a, a money pit. Think of them, as Scripture says, as a gift from God. And then the final thing that the Scripture tells us is that, and this is very important, that we are not to exasperate our children. And this one is the uh, one scripture verse that really convicts me, and it constantly does, and, and it's one that I hold dearly in my heart, is not to exasperate my children. Ephesians 6.4 says that fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this is critical, that, that especially in the teen years, is that communication is hard with teens anyway. I mean, not too many teens like to talk to their parents. That age, but if you exasperate them, if you anger them, if you frustrate them, and you've cut off that kind of communication with the children, you have no influence over them. I've said this over and over again, and and that's one of the things that that I think helped me survive through the teen years is the ability to not exasperate them, and and that's where I go back to when you want to discipline them. Certain things you think you can discipline when they are little, you can't do it the same as when they're teenagers. The game changes. And you're going to have to change along with it. With that mindset, do not exasperate your children. Do not frustrate them. Because I've seen sad stories of members in my own family, in my extended family, where parents have exasperated their children, have angered them so badly that they could not get out of the house fast enough. And to this day, some of the adult children will not speak to their parents. And that's sad. It's because... During their time at home, they were exasperated by their parents. They were angered by them. And now their relation has been, been broken severely. And if you don't want that to happen in your families, don't exasperate your children. Or you will lose them. You know, uh, some of the things that we we um, hold dear in our lives is, is, is money, right? A lot of us love money. I think I have... Right here. This little piece of paper, right? It's only about six inches long. But this holds our hearts. I mean, we hold a lot of value. And on the back of, the, uh, of our money is printed a motto. It says, in God we trust, right? It's kind of funny how, how that, that motto is actually the motto of the United States. It's the motto, a motto of our country. So politically, it seems to have a lot of weight. We actually put it on money money we find valuable well it's also valuable scripturally spiritually that we should also trust in god and another thing that we hold valuable is our children right and if our children are valuable just as much as money is valuable we should have that same model motto, uh, motto concerning our children that we should trust in god john 14 verse 1 one of my favorite verses says do not let your hearts be troubled trust in god trust also in me me being jesus and these were the verses that uh words that jesus was saying to his disciples when he was in the upper room the night before he was going to be betrayed before he was going to leave them he was kind of uh, telling them i'm going to be leaving and his his disciples his followers were beginning to become uh, worrisome they were going to be anxious Jesus was their leader, and he was leaving. And to them, he said these words: "Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me." Well, those are also very good words for parents to hear. Right? When you're up late at night worrying if your kid's going to come back home safe, when you send your kids off to college, you're wondering if if they're going to do well. You see them struggling with their their schoolwork or their f- friendships they are not getting along with others, whatever the case may be, there are times when you get anxious for them because you can't control that. It's out of your control. And it's those moments that you begin to worry. And I said, worry and anxiousness is a joy killer. But this is my advice to all parents, and, and it's worked truly in my own life, is that you get on your hands and knees and you pray. It is at those times when you are desperate, when you are in pain, or you are discouraged about your children, you get on your hands and knees and you pray to God. There are moments when, when uh, my children were sick, very sick, or they were struggling with school, or they're having problems with relationships with others, or they were having—we uh, were in the middle of a conflict, and there's a lot of yelling and screaming— Prayer really helps. It really changes the situation, and God is faithful. And I say that with uh, great conviction because it is something that, that I've seen in my own life. And I want you to hear a story where it isn't just my own story and my own experience. I want to call Warren Curiso up for him to share uh, a story in his own life that demonstrates how one can depend on,
1: be trusting of God. Thanks, Calvin. Uh, good morning, everybody. So I'm going to share a story that actually takes place over the course of about a year, but I have four minutes to share it, so I'll try and just stick to the main points. Uh, and this goes back to the year 2000, and a lot of you remember the time of 2000 and the years leading up to 2000 the dot-com boom. It was a great time economically. Unemployment was low. Money was everywhere. Some of you are too young to remember it, but just take my word for it. It was a pretty amazing time. And in 2000, uh, my wife Dawn and I, we had made uh, several different decisions at the beginning of 2000. So one of the decisions we made was that um, that we would move uh, from where we were living at the time to Orinda. So we wanted you know, our older son, Tyler was a few years old at that point. We were looking for better schools, so we decided we were going to make a move and <clears throat> and for those of you who know Orinda, orinda 's not a cheap place, but we decided that 's where we wanted to live. So we decided to make that move there. Um, the other thing is is that I decided to leave the job I was at and really go for a home run. So I went to go start to a small startup. I think I was the fourth employee at that startup, and we had uh, just a little bit of seed money. And so we were going to go off and, uh, you know, hit it big with the rest of the dot-com boom. Uh, The other thing that happened in early 2000 is uh, we decided to have a second child, Devin. So Don got pregnant. So there were a few things that happened, and and we decided also that when uh, Devin was born that Don would stop working. So it was looking really good. 2000 was great. We were moving to a new house. We, We had a second child on the way. I was starting a new job you know, looking for a pot of gold. And uh, it was, it was, looked really, really promising. Uh, And then, uh, you know, things happened over the middle part of the year. And then come October, a few pretty significant things happened. So number one, Devin was born, which was really, really good. Uh, However, 10 days after Devin was born, uh, he didn't wake up in his cradle. And at first, Don and I were really happy. We thought, wow, you know, he slept through the night. What a great child. And we got up, and we looked at him in his his, uh, his cradle, and he was barely breathing. In fact, he was almost dead. Uh, what had ended up happening is Don rushed him over to Children's Hospital, and we found out he had one lung that was collapsed, another one that was almost collapsed. The diagnosis was he had a big hole in his heart between his two ventricles. And so so in October, you know, Devin was born, but you know, we had a very, very sick child who needed open-heart surgery. Uh, the other thing that happened in October, I was contacted by the guy who I was working for at the small startup. And uh, in 2000, some of you may know that that's when the markets crashed, right? The entire economy went through the floor and we could not get any more funding for our startup. So in October, my employer called me up and said, hey Warren, I got to shut the business down. So there we were in the situation where we had a new child, he was sick, we had a house, we had a new big mortgage, we had just moved to Orinda. I had no job. Don had resigned her job. She had no job. So we were just bleeding money. But I figured, well, okay, Devin needs to have heart surgery, so we'll just go on COBRA. We'll get some medical insurance through COBRA. Well, I found out that a lot of you probably know this. I didn't know it at the time. You can't COBRA against a company that is no longer in existence. So we found ourselves without health insurance. So this is our situation toward the end of October. And Don and I, we were... We were really struggling. It was hard. And at that point, we had decided we would just take care of Devin, by far our number one priority, sell the house, pay for the surgery out of pocket, and we had already resigned ourselves to moving back down with our parents down into Southern California because that was really the only option we saw. And we were really broken. And, and, you know, the only thing we could do is put our faith in God that he would take care of us. So Devin's surgery was scheduled for the first Monday in, in January, and we had to keep him at home. We couldn't take him out. He was trying to regain strength so we could have his surgery. And in the meantime, we kept looking for insurance. But, of course, pre-existing condition, we could get no insurance, and we just continued to be broken. But we knew what we needed to do. At the beginning of December, Dawn contacted her employers. She used to work for a very small company. Husband and wife owned it. And she said, Hey, Amy, can I speak to your insurance broker? We're desperate for insurance. And Amy came back to Don and said, You know what? I'm not too sure we officially terminated you on paper. You might actually still be eligible for coverage through our group health insurance. And actually, that's what happened. We were able to find insurance because uh, her bosses didn't take care of the paperwork. By the grace of God, we were able to get insurance. Um, The last really, really tough part of this was, as I said, Devin's surgery was scheduled for the first Monday in January. He needed to be in the hospital at 7 a.m. for that surgery. We needed to get pre-approval for his surgery before we could go in and be covered for that surgery. And so we were calling the insurance company. We were waiting, waiting, waiting. The Thursday before his surgery at 4 p.m., we get a call from Pacific care saying you're pre-approved. So one business day before his surgery, we got approval for a surgery. So um, it was a really, really difficult time. Uh, If you think about all the changes, all the stressors we went through, change of family, loss of income, new house, you know, all that. It was really, really tough. But the one thing that that we learned from this is that um, we, could put our faith in god we knew the lord would take care of us one way or the other we were going to be okay and we actually came through shining through the experience so i just wanted to share that with you it was um it was quite an experience and by the way when i'm at work and things are really stressful people ask me warren how do you stay so calm (laughs) and i just tell them let me tell you a story (laughs) so okay thank you calvin thank you thank you warren
0: In the book uh, Crazy Busy, uh, Kevin DeYoung makes this, uh, takes this quote from uh, Leslie Fields, who wrote a book about parenting, and, and it was a book about no matter how perfect you are in your parenting, it doesn't guarantee that your children will become Christians. And so it's actually a pretty good book that, that that he quotes there. But I love this quote from Leslie Fields. She says that um, parents will parent imperfectly, and children will make their choices And God, wonderfully and mysteriously, will take it all, use it all to advance his kingdom. And that's something that that should be uh, mindful for us, a reminder for us that trusting God is important because that will bring back joy in our lives. And to counter all the business in our lives, I want to read um, these other verses that follow the first verse I read for you from John 14, where it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. But that section of verses ends with these words from Jesus. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And those words, I hope, are encouraging to you all, not only parents and non-parents, but I hope that that will happen in your lives because that will bring back joy into into your lives. All right, Pastor Andrew.
2: Hello. My name is Pastor Andrew, and I am addicted to media. I I know this feels like sermon number two, and it is because it is sermon number two, but we've tried to unite it under a common theme, which is joy killers. Joy killer number one is anxious parenting, and so just do the core, do the basics, and trust God with the rest, I think is a, is a good summary. And now we're going to talk about media addiction. And I came out clean, did I not? I came out clean. I, I just was honest before you, and so now it's like your turn, okay? Um, so how many of you have a loved one, a roommate, a BFF, A spouse or a kid that you know who is addicted to media, Facebook, movies, internet surfing, video games, or something of that media matter. Raise your hands. Okay, now what I'm seeing is that everyone knows somebody. Now, but if you yourselves are addicted to media, go ahead and raise your hands. Okay, not as many people who know people, but there is a lot of self-confessed media addicts in this room, so this must be a relevant topic. Now, um, Raina and I agree that one of our sons, who will not be named, has an addiction to video games, and we've been really actively talking to this son about it and increasing his awareness. So... Saturday afternoon is really the only time that he can uh, play video games for an hour and a half. Saturday afternoon. Now, it just so happened on one of these Saturday afternoons, I was going to test drive a new car. And my son loves that sort of stuff. And so I said, son, who shall not be named, will you come with me to test drive this car? And I'm not kidding you, he looked up at me with the sweetest face and he said, Daddy, I cannot. I said, Why? Because I'm addicted to video games. <laughs> and he said it so sweetly, like just as a matter of fact, I'm addicted, you know? And inside, I'm like, okay, we can talk about that later, but inside, I'm like, aha, he knows. He, he, he's awareness. He's, he's, he, he knows that he has a problem. Now, now listen, I'm prepping for this message and I'm talking to Raina and she says, what are you talking about this Sunday? I said, well, Calvin's going to talk about anxious parenting and I'm going to talk about media addiction. And Reina looks at me and says, you can talk about that. That's good because you have a problem. So that's why I'm here like, hello, my name is Pastor Andrew, and I am addicted to media because my wife told me I am. (laughs) Now, now, this, now it gets even better, okay? Two nights ago, I'm putting Ryan to bed. I'm putting him to sleep. And I said, Ryan, I'm going to talk about media addiction this Sunday. Do you think Daddy has a problem? And he turned to me and said, no. And then I had this bright idea, I'm like, do you think mommy has a problem? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I didn't raise my hand there. I didn't say anything. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But inside, I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. So we're all addicted to media. I mean, the whole family is addicted to media. And it, it, just, it just come full circle. And I'm just, I'm wondering... If, if you know if you're addicted and if you asked your kid, if you have a kid or your best friend, if you have one, what they might say. And what they might say might surprise you. I have a theory when it comes to media addiction. And that theory is that when it comes to media addiction, there are three groups of people. Those are those who know they're addicted and they're trying to draw boundaries around it. Those who are in denial and senior citizens. <laughs> Because we, we love you guys. Uh, you were born in a different era. And so you're, you're more grounded in the real world, you know? And, and sometimes my mom will call me, and she doesn't know how to do these Internet functions. You know, she just doesn't know. Um, maybe that's an advantage. Now, listen, this is a big struggle in this generation and in this culture. And so, Pastor Calvin was making the point, anxious parenting can kill your joy. And my point here, listen, this is the big idea. If you do not put boundaries around the screen, it will eventually kill your enjoyment of God. Now, how many of you think I'm overstating that? I want you to really think about that. Media, screen time, if there are no boundaries... It will eventually ruin you spiritually. Is that true? Uh, John Piper wrote a whole book on one main idea. It's, it's a brilliant, beautiful, biblical idea, which is the chief end of humankind is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And the best way we can give God glory is, say, is saying, God, when I spend time with you, I love it. The time that I spend with you is the highlight of my day. Now, how many of you here can say that with all honesty, that you love to spend time with God in prayer and in his word? And what I'm saying to you is that media and screen time, if it's not put under control, it is going to compromise, will take away, will ruin your joy in God. Now, there is at least two ways that media does this one obvious one i'm I'm just going to say it really quickly and move on i mean the most obvious one is porn and i I think we know intuitively how that ruins our relationship with god we don't i don't want to spend more time on that that's one here's another one in your free time you guys have choices And so many people in this room, including myself, your top choice for rest and recreation is something media-related. Is that true? I know it's true for me. Like, we're talking about Facebook or movies or surfing the web or YouTube or Korean drama. And really, my point is that it's a matter of minutes. You have limited free time. Media gets the top pick, and time spent in media means time not spent doing better things, more spiritually edifying things, like picking up your Bible and then reading the Bible or b- praying. So really, it's a matter of minutes. We are investing in this, which means less time is invested in something better. All right? Now, I think it's hard to argue that. It's just a matter of minutes in math. Here's another reason, Okay? Media is just so stimulating, right? It, it, there's, it's flash and glitter. It's violence and sex. It's that video with the dog on the treadmill wearing this Ewok costume. And it's funny to look at. You guys know what I'm talking about. Or it's like if you get five in a row candies, there's a chocolate donut. You know, it's really alluring. Flash. Flash glitter but then in your free time you have this book this bible right and sometimes it's like there's flash and there's glitter and there's news flashes but the bible is very different it's like when i open it will it something like like sing and dance for me no no uh, if I spend time in my Bible, will it entertain me? Will there be like enough like violence and sex actually in parts there are, like in the Old Testament? right? But yeah, when I do this, will it ooh and awe me, like media does? Yes, but you have to make an investment. In time, and you have to retrain your mind to be able to read the scriptures and enjoy them. It takes some time and investment, but we're like, no, I want the instant satisfaction of click, click, click. And so we make choices for this and not for this. And here's the thing here's the thing. Sometimes, many times, God speaks in the still small voice but our world of media is so full of white noise and, com- and commotion and something to stimulate you, and our attention span is increasingly decreasing and it crowds out the still, small voice of God. Do we have a problem here? Do you guys see the problem here? Uh, I need a volunteer... Uh, Someone, preferably older than 40, for reasons that you will understand. I'm going to actually thank Patrick for volunteering. Patrick Lynn, thank you. Yeah, I know you want to be up here, so come on down with me, okay? Okay, thank you, Patrick. Oh, if you would stand right here, Patrick. We're about the visuals today, Patrick. Can I just ask you, who is the main cook in the family? Yeah, right. You got to think about that one. Okay, let me ask you an easier question. When you shop, where do you go shopping? Okay, so you neither cook nor shop. Okay, are you a foodie? Yes. Okay, there's a difference I heard between a foodie and a chow hound. A foodie likes high-end food. A chow hound will eat anything just as long as it's good and tasty. Which one are you?
1: Depends on the day. I think I'm a little bit of both.
2: Okay, you're a little bit of both. Okay, good. Well, you're in store. Today, you're going to be leaving here with a gift, with something, okay? Something is going to go home for you, which is really, really cool. Now, you have to make a choice between what's under the yellow towel and what's under the blue towel. Now, all I ask is when you are making the choice that you kind of talk out loud. Now, what's under the yellow towel here? Apples. Okay, apples, red delicious apples. These are delicious. And Fuji apples, some of it may be organic, I'm not sure. (laughs) Apples, okay? Now, what's under this towel are Safeway donuts, okay? We're talking about the chocolate sprinkles. I was talking about the chocolate sprinkles. I am touching them. (laughs) I know I'm influencing your choice just by touching them. But but listen, uh, you know, this is... A chocolate sprinkled donuts, and we got powdered donuts with uh, lemon custard, and we got other old-fashioned donuts. There you go. Now, here it is. It gets even more interesting, okay? Whatever you choose, you, not your family, not loved ones, you have to eat the whole thing. Not like here, but when you go home, you have to eat all of it, okay? And you can't say, I don't choose any. You got to make a choice, and you got to eat all of it. And here's another thing. Whatever you choose, I will not judge you. They might judge you, but I will not judge you. All right? Now, all I ask that you just talk about your decision and your process out loud and make a choice for
1: yourself. I think it's pretty obvious. I really like the donut. Yes. But I also know that this is better for me. Okay. okay. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. I just want you to know that's where we live. Okay? We can all relate to Patrick in this moment. Okay? But you gotta make a choice. So make a choice.
1: With the audience watching.
2: Yes. I will choose the apples. Good choice. You get the apples. Well done. Thank you, Patrick. Actually, I'll put these out for people later. So. why would a person resist and say no to that amazing chocolate sprinkled donut? Why? Why in the world? Well, because you don't want to clog up your arteries. And you're like, I'm going to get on the scale a week from now, and I'm going to see the difference. You're like, I could do it. And imagine sinking your teeth into one of those with Pete's coffee. Oh, right? Right. I'm not helping, am I? You could do it, but you're like, I am going to regret it later. You're like, I'm going to choose the apple because I want to be healthy. It's a person that I want to become, right? You guys, you guys see the connection here? When you have free time, it's the same choice. Apples or donuts. What are you feeding your soul? You're like, I'm choosing the apple because I want to feed my body something good and I want to be healthy. Isn't the same way with your soul? And the choices you make in your free time, you are feeding your soul. What are you feeding your soul? And why would a person go, you know, I'm not going to do media or I'm going to draw some boundaries around it so that I can spend time in God's word and prayer? Why would you do that? Because of the person that I want to become. I want to be a person who enjoys God. I want to make room for the more subtle, lasting pleasures. I want to be a spiritually healthy person. And so you make those choices. Now, here's another thing for parents. I have a friend who says, be the person you want your kids to be. For every parent here, no one wants our kid to grow up to be a spiritual weakling who's hooked on media, who spends a good chunk of their life as a spiritual zombie. No parent wants that for their kid. We want them to be spiritually strong. People who have boundaries when it comes to media. People who know how to feed their souls on the word of God. We can accuse our kids of being addicted to media, but are we addicted to media? Let's be the people we want our kids to become. Paul says this, train yourselves to be godly. Wow, that looks like you being proactive, huh? No, I'm waiting for God to just zap me and then I'll be a really holy person who chooses something more wise in my free time. Paul says, train yourself to be godly. Sometimes we struggle like, Why can prayer and reading the Bible be as fun as media time? Why can't it have the same appeal? And Paul says, it can, but you have to retrain your mind to have joy in the more lasting pleasure. It takes training and practice and investment. Paul says in Philippians 4.8, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What are we feeding our soul? A lot of media stuff ranges from good to neutral to just, honestly, just crap. Some forms of media are better than other forms. What are you feeding your soul? And reading the scriptures is not just the better choice, but the best choice. So here are a few tips. We're going to go through these pretty uh, quickly. Practical suggestions. Number one, kill one form of media and bring to life a gospel. Kill one form of media and bring to life a gospel. Did you guys know that Lent is just around the corners? So for 40 days of Lent, why don't you kill one thing that's media-related, whether it be like Netflix or whether it be like Facebook. Go on a fast and bring to life like the Gospel of Mark, which is what we're going to go through during Lent. So kill one form of media, bring to life a Gospel. For every, Number two, for every hour spent in media, spend the same amount of time doing something devotional. Uh, a buddy of mine does this. So for every hour that she spends on Pinterest, do you guys know what Pinterest is? Okay, I don't understand the joy of pinning myself. You guys are going to have to explain how that is actually relaxing to me later. But my friend will be like, for every hour I spend on Pinterest, I'm going to devote the same amount of time doing something devotional, like listening to a sermon podcast or reading a de- devotional book. Number three, send, spend limits, send, set limits on your media time. This is not like rocket science. It's like taking your watch or a timer and giving yourself, like, what, 30 minutes, 40 40 minutes, an hour of media time. And then once you hear it go off, that means you put it away and you're done. You're going to do something better. Or, uh, you guys, like, I, like a Korean drama or a TV, TV show series where each episode is like 45, but you've got like seasons one through nine, just <laughs> limit yourself to one episode on a day that you're watching it. You just say, okay, my boundary, one, and then I'm done. One, I'm done, You put it away, you do something else. What about this one? At 10 p.m., put your electronics to bed. Just put it to bed. Now, uh, those of us with small kids, you put your, be- your kids to bed at like 8. Some of you like, you know, 9. You put them to bed. At 9 or 10, put your electronics to bed. And you're like, well, what else is there to do? I don't know. Talk to someone. <laughs> you know, open your Bible. You'll find something really good and more redeeming uh, to do with that time. What about this one? During dinner, put all phones in a box. I take an actual shoe box or an Amazon box. And then when it's dinner time, go around and collect all the phones, all the electronic devices, no texting, no uh, checking email, just celebrating relationships around the table. Now, why would we go through all this trouble? Because we want to enjoy God more and he is worth it. Why would why we go through all this, all this, uh, this, this intentional, you know, uh, boundaries? Because of the people that we want to become. Okay, so those are two joy killers. Anxious parenting. Do the basics. Um, those basics are teaching them about God, disciplining them, being thankful for them, and not exasperating them. Do the basics and don't worry about the rest. And for media time that's killing our joy, put some godly boundaries around it, or else it will ruin your joy in Christ. Now would you all stand, and I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help every person in this room see and know that they have been given power by the Holy Spirit to make wise choices, Some of us feel like I am powerless to stop. I can't stop worrying. I can't stop going to media as my source of rest during my free time. And the truth of the matter is that you have given us the Holy Spirit. We can make better, wiser choices to be the people of God you want us to be. This is true, and we proclaim it in the name of Jesus. Amen.